Hey, good morning. Hey, if you are new, I'm Charlie, the lead pastor here, and really glad that you are worshiping with us today. We've got a baptism at the end of the service, so really excited about this crowd over here who's come to celebrate that with us a little bit later. And again, if you are new, really glad I'm Charlie, lead pastor, watching online or you're watching later. Really glad all of you have chosen today. We're starting a new series today called You Belong. Excited about that, kind of spending some time I'm just talking a little bit about just kind of who we are as a church, what we kind of feel like that God's calling us to be as a church, and excited about Mark and I over the next few weeks sharing that with you, and I've had this idea, so I get on a lot of church websites, just, you know, just kind of see what's going on, kind of what other churches are doing, if you get any ideas or whatever, and there's just certain themes that you just see that are common everywhere. Every, every church now is relevant, right, what, whatever that means. Everybody's like, hey, you, however you're dressed, come dress however you are. Like that, That's a common thread everywhere. Like There's just certain themes that you see. And there's one, there's one very common thread that's very, that's very curious to me that, that, that I wish I want to explore. They say, hey, it doesn't matter who you are, you will be welcome here. And I have this idea, and it really is just an idea. I, w- I don't have the, the guts or the courage to actually follow through it, but I have this idea for a YouTube series where I hire a group of actors and put hidden cameras on them to test whether or not a church really believes that anyone is welcome. Now, I don't know if you can just kind of visualize this right now, but in order to do this well, it would have to be edgy. So as I'm about to describe it to you, it's about to get a little edgy, and I just, I don't apologize, but I just just want you to be prepared for it, right? So for, for some, it would be, it would be fairly simple. To say, anybody is welcome to worship here. All I'd have to do is hire two guys and have them walk in holding hands. And at that moment, there would, I mean, it would test the limits of a lot of churches. But there are some churches that I think that would do pretty well there. They would do, they would do fine there. And so, but the, the, the church that would, like, well, there's another, act. Oh, I'll hire this guy. And I'm going to put him in a Confederate flag shirt. Now, make America great again hat. I'm going to stroll him in there. Just, just see what happens. Again, I know this is edgy, and you are already so immensely uncomfortable. And we are just like, we're like, like one minute into the sermon. We're going we're gonna to get to different plays, I promise. Like, like, and, the, and most churches are going to freak out, if not at both of them, at least one of them. And some of you right now are a little bit offended by the comparison. You're just kind of like, you're ready, you're ready to fight with me. Because you don't, you don't, because here's the deal. One of those is a very clear, obvious, and moral evil. And the other one is just kind of, I don't know. It's, I mean, I don't know. Which one? Well, I mean, I don't even know why, why are you even saying that. Clearly, that one, they're just coming to church like that just in order to provoke us. Okay, who are we talking about? Who are we talking about again? We have to, and we have to protect the children from people like that. Now, who, we, who, we, who are we talking about? It's interesting how we all kind of use this same sort of imagery, this same sort of idea to kind of exclude certain people from access to Jesus. And so I've had this on my mind a lot lately because, for, I mean, a lot of you know, probably saw it, seen it, it's there, it's stage, it's out there. We made this mural a few years ago, and it's an awesome thing some artists in our church did. It says, you belong. And that's not on the inside of the building. 
It's not a slogan for our small groups. It is something that we put on the outside of the building. And if you're going to put something like that on the outside of your building, if you're going to put that on a website, if you're going to put it on a shirt, you better make sure who you're talking to when you do it. You're talking to everyone. So is that message really true for everyone? Are we the type of place that no matter what's going on with you in your present or what's gone on with you in your past, you can come here and belong? Because I think there's this idea. It's not an idea. This is kind of what it feels. This may just be reality. It's like, it's like we've decided that there are two types of churches and you have to fall into one of these two camps. And we do this all the time. There's camps. So you're either this or this. There's churches out there that like to tell you the truth. Capital T, truth. Man, we're, we're talking about the truth. You're going to come here. You're going to hear the truth. Truth. We're going to tell you how it is. We don't care if you hurt your feelings or not. And there's also churches out here that are like, they're kind. They're, they're nice. And it's like, it doesn't matter who you are. You're going to feel love and be kind. And we're not ever going to, not ever going to hurt your feelings. Everything's always going to be fine. It's going to be fine. And, and I wonder, like, how, how does this happen? How do, how do we dissolve these two basic concepts of what it is that God has called us to be as his people, that we are either going to be a place that tells the truth or we are going to be a place that is kind. And, and I want us to imagine. I want us to not just simply imagine, but I want us to, 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 to strive to be a place that can bring both of these two ideas together. What, is, what if there was a third way? What if there was a way to say, you belong and to make people, no matter what is going on in your life, in the present, or what has happened to you in the past, that this is a place where you can come and experience Jesus. What would it take to be that type of church? What would it look like? What would we struggle with? What are the things that keep us from being that? And so, we're going to spend a lot of time over the next few weeks in the Gospels, kind of looking at Jesus. Because if there was a criticism that Jesus consistently got... It was around this issue. It was around the issue of the people that he allowed to be in close contact with him. The people that he allowed, that, that he intentionally pursued, that he was just a little too kind, a little too welcoming to the wrong kinds of people. So we're going to look at two very similar stories in the way that Jesus interacts with these people, but that involve two very different types of people. And the first one is in Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, it's a story of a guy named Zacchaeus. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Zacchaeus. If you grew up going to church, you probably know something about Zacchaeus. You probably know that he was a wee little man. And um, if you don't know that he was a wee little man and you're wondering why everyone is saying that, I could sing a song, but I'm not going to sing that song. In fact, I'll tell you this, I'll tell you this. We'll just, I'm way off the rails now. Um, I used to be kind of a campus pastor at a church of about 6,000 people, and I would preach there a handful of times a year. And I preached on the Zacchaeus deal, and someone dared me. I dare you in advance. I dare you to sing the song from the stage. And just don't dare me. And so there's, if you looked hard enough, you could find a, a video of me preaching to several thousand people singing the Zacchaeus song. So anyway, we got this story about Zacchaeus, and we also have a story in Luke chapter 7 about Jesus interacting with a prostitute. So we're going to look at both of these stories, at least the first half of them here, at first. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 7. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. 
He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Now there's something there that is in the description of Zacchaeus that an original reader to this would have instantly known. The people who knew Zacchaeus and lived in this town at this time would have instantly known. But the, the words don't have necessarily the same impact on us. He's described first and foremost as a tax collector. So here's a Jewish guy who was working for the Roman government, which is essentially an occupying force in the area. They, the Jewish people are a conquered nation that are being occupied by this, the, you know, this, this evil force in their, from their perspective, right? And so this guy, who's one of them, has gone to work for them to collect their taxes. So just that in and of itself is bad enough. That's enough right there to make you a traitor. But in addition to that, it also says he was very wealthy. Now the job itself did not pay you enough to make you wealthy. The way that you became wealthy, and this was completely approved of by the Roman government, the way that you became wealthy was, is I come to your house and say, you owe $100 in taxes, but in fact you only owe 50 And so I take the $100 for you, I send the 50 on, and I pocket the other 50 And I have the ability to keep whatever it is I, above and beyond. I, I have the ability to keep that, and, and that then is how he becomes wealthy. So not only is he a traitor, he is a thief, and all of his wealth and power has been accumulated by taking advantage of everyone else in his town. And Jesus comes to this guy and says, I would like to have dinner with you tonight. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. So we have uh, another story here, and she's described here. It says, a woman who lived a sinful life. So this is essentially a euphemism. This is a, this is a kind of a catchphrase. It's kind of translated here. But really the idea of it, this woman has some significant sexual sin in her life. Most likely a prostitute. Regardless, she has lived a very sexually, publicly sexual and moral life. So most people understand, <coughs> excuse me, understand that she's a prostitute. And so this prostitute hears that Jesus is having dinner at this Pharisee's house, and goes and immediately just starts, you know, just weeping, just of just of regret and and sadness just about her and her life, and she just begins to kind of anoint Jesus' feet. And whether it's Zacchaeus or it's this prostitute, the reaction from the Pharisees is the same. If this, per, if, if this guy really were a godly person, he would know 
it is highly inappropriate for him to be associated with them. Now, it's very, it's very normal, then. This is the reaction that we're supposed to have as church people hearing a story that involves the Pharisees. We are li- we're supposed to hear this and now be outraged. How, how dare they? How, how dare the Pharisees? And, 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 and we get harumphed her- about it, right? We're just like, right? But let's just imagine. Let's just, let's just fast forward a little bit. We are out for dinner, me and you. We're out for dinner. We're hanging out, and we're talking. And then, boom, out of nowhere, burst into the restaurant a prostitute. And this prostitute comes up to me and starts hugging me and kissing my cheek and sitting next to me and starts chatting me up. Man, are you telling that story? Are you excited now? It's like, man, I love my church. I love my pastor. You won't believe what happened. I'm hanging out there with my pastor, having dinner. This prostitute comes in and starts talking to him, loving on him, and talking about and it's like, it was great. I'm, you, should, you should come, man. It's great. It's a great church. Or you're perusing on social media, and there was someone in our town, there isn't anyone like this, and, they, and if there were, I wouldn't be trying to figure out the example and, and use the name. But just imagine that there was someone in our town, one of the most powerful, influential people in our community, incredibly wealthy. And the way that he got all his wealth was from stealing from all of you. And then suddenly on social media it pops up, Oh, Charlie Lofton has been tagged in a photo. And it's at this dude's house. It's him and all his friends, and I'm sitting next to him. Right? You liking that? You I'm a like, share, hashtag love my church. Right, like, 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 no. Like, like, no. I don't want the pastor that's friendly with prostitutes. And I don't want a pastor who feels comfortable in being in the home of someone like that. And the reality of it is, is we really aren't that far away from the same exact mentality where we believe that there are certain types of people who, because of who they are, because of what they've done, because of the way that they live, because of certain ideas, attitudes, beliefs that they have, that they should be denied access. And I think the, the thing that, as I think about our church, this is, again, this is a little bit wordier than a lot of our slides tend to be, but I, I, this is the big idea that I want us to get. There should be no external barriers between anyone and the gospel. None. If there is someone out there who wants to hear the gospel who wants to experience Jesus, who wants to hear what he has to say, who wants to learn more about him, who wants to hear what does this mean? Why, why do people do this? Who is Jesus? Why did he die? Where, what is forgiveness? What is life? What does the church have to say about these things? Who is Jesus and what does he have to say to me? We should put no barriers between that person and access to the gospel. None. But whether we intend to or not, too often collectively us as God's churches have done just that. Where there are people out there who believe that in order for them to really get access, to really hear what Jesus has to say about them, about sin, about life, there are certain things that you have to do in advance. 
And so I ask you this. I don't know if you've ever interacted with someone who is not a Christian, who is considering becoming a Christian, who's thinking about going to church, you're inviting them to church, and you're having some difficulties with them. If you have an experience, it's fine. I would love for you to. I would love for you to try to engage more with people like that. But one of the things that you'll hear and that I've heard a lot is people will say, like they, they get to the edge, it's like, well, you know, I, I would like to come to church. I would like to, to, you know, to accept Jesus. I, I, I love that, but there's some things in my life that I have to get figured out first. There's some things in my life that I need to fix. There's some sin in my life that I have to get rid of. And once I get rid of that, then I'll feel the freedom then to hear Jesus, to come to church. That how is it that people have gotten the impression that getting their lives clean was a prerequisite to the gospel? And are they, are they theologians? Have they been, are there theology books that say this? By and large, they don't. Even, even churches that have a, a, a works-oriented gospel really do at least understand on the front end that really that, that forgiveness is free, but there's like you have to be work. But no, there's really not a whole lot out there. People just straight up just saying that. In order to even really attend church or to hear the gospel, you gotta you gotta get it, you gotta get your life straight first. We most of us, at least theologically, agree that getting your life that, that's a result of what God does. But yet, this is what they think. How do they, how do, how do, how do they, why do they think this? There are things that we have done and we have given people the impression that they've got to get their life straight first and then they can hear about Jesus. And I think we have this fear. And I don't, and I don't want to, I'm not mocking it, I'm not putting it down, I'm not saying that there's something bad about it, but we have this fear. We have this fear that somehow if, if people who are, who are overtly sinful, like, like if, if we're too kind and receptive to them, that they will get the impression that we don't care about sin or that sin doesn't matter, that we're, we're afraid. We don't want them to get that impression. And so that's why I feel like well, we've got to tell them the truth. And so I don't want them to get, we don't want them to get the impression that somehow we at this church think sin is okay. Okay, fine. But there's a parallel and in, in maybe an inverse fear that we also need to have. Like the way that we treat people we are also could be giving them the impression that the gospel is not truly free. And that somehow you've got to fix yourself first, then the gospel. If you want to have this fear, okay, but please balance it with this one. And let's make sure that we understand the order in which this is supposed to go. Access to Jesus, hearing the gospel, and then, as opposed to putting all these barriers. So we're going to talk about this over the next several weeks. Some of the, I believe, unintentional barriers that we put between people and access to the gospel. And attitudes that I believe that we can have as a church in order to make sure that the whole world knows that this really is a place, no matter what has happened to you up until this moment, this is a place where you can belong and, and we want you to hear about Jesus. Because really, this, I mean, we get this from the story. Really, the only obstacle, the really only barrier between someone and the, and the gospel is pride. Pride is the barrier. That is what is keeping. All the only people here in these stories that are really 
not really engaging with Jesus, not really engaging with the Gospels, is this group of the Pharisees. And they, I mean, they just think they already have it all together. I am currently good enough. I, I'm, my sin's not a big deal. I don't need to be forgiven. I don't need some new life with Jesus. I've, I've already got it figured. I've already kind of elevated myself to a certain level. And so I don't need any of this. And so then their goal, their understanding is, is like, well, then what needs to happen is all the people like me who have it all together, we need to gather ourselves together, exclude all of these people, kind of rise above it. And so you can see us who have it all together and we sit down and look at you and judge you for not yet having it all together. But in fact, in the story, there's only one person who's got his life in complete order. And that's Jesus. And he's the one that initiated dinner with the reprehensible traitor power thief and the one who was welcoming a relatively, a relatively significant amount of intimacy with a known prostitute. The only one who had his life together is the one who is the most engaged with, quote, the worst people. And so I, th- I think somehow we, we, we get it a little bit backwards and we don't, we don't think of ourselves as the, as, as the prideful ones who think that we've got it all together. We think of the people who are coming through the doors kind of wearing their sin openly, who come through like, they're prideful. Like, so we gotta, we got to meet them. How, da- how dare you come in here like that? How dare, you, how dare you be like that? But the reality of it is, Let's just say nine times out of ten, someone who's living a life and not going to church, not connected with God, and somehow decides one day, you know what, I think I should go to church. I don't think that there are very many people out there who think, you know a place where I can go where all of my behavior is going to be approved of is church. By the time they walk through the door, there has been a moment where they're like, there is something missing. I need something. That's what happened with Zacchaeus. He'd clearly heard something about Jesus. And he knew he was coming. And he wanted to see him. I just got, I just got to see him. I just got to get there. I got to, I got to see him. I got to see him. And he gets there and he's short and the crowd's big. So I got, I'm going to climb a tree. I mean, he does this crazy thing. Like this wealthy, powerful man, he's just climbing up a tree so that, so that, so that he can just at least see Jesus' face. The prostitute... The prostitute, she heard she was, he, that Jesus was at the Pharisee's house. Again, she knew who this guy was. She knew that this was very likely to be the place where she would be disrespected and uh, disapproved of the most of any other place in town. She knew this, this is not, not going to be a safe place for her. But she heard Jesus was there and was willing to risk all of that for access to Jesus. And I think that is the attitude that we need to have about everyone who comes through our door. That this is a person who at least has enough humility and desire and brokenness in their own life that they, they need to hear Jesus. And we do not want to have an attitude that says, because of my own perception of how far along I now am, that I can look back at anyone back here and say, Ooh, I'm, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know about that. Because think about it for a second. Like, what if Jesus had, quote, done the right thing? He'd done the right thing, right? 
Zacchaeus, you come down. I'm coming to your house today. And they'll be like, dude, that's Zacchaeus. He's like a thief and, and he's awful. Oh, sorry, I, I, didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know. Zacchaeus, I'm not coming to your house today. Like, good job. Wait, wait, wait. Go, Jesus. Woo! I like the, the prostitutes cleaning his feet. You don't, you, if you knew who that was, if you were a man of God, you really knew who that was, you, you wouldn't let her do that. Oh, you're right. Prostitute, get out of here. Oh, Jesus, man. What, oh, oh, woo. Like, we just can't, you can't even really put your mind around Jesus doing that. He, he just wouldn't. And, and neither will we. Because the reality of it is, let's just see how both these stories end very, very similarly. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And so he stands up. He's like, man, I just, he's been with Jesus. And he's like, hey, listen, I'm going to give it all back. I'm going to give half my money to the poor. Anything I've sold, I'm going to give back plus. Luke 7, the end of the story with the, with the woman. Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The reality of it is, Jesus would have never sent them away. Because the gospel brings life. The gospel brings forgiveness. This is what it does. And, 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 and their access, their proximity to Jesus, their being with Jesus brought them a brand new life. I find, I find the story fascinating. It's both, especially with the Zacchaeus story. You don't know how long dinner was. You don't have any record of any of the things that Jesus said specifically to Zacchaeus. I'm sure they had really good conversations. I'm sure there were some very significant things that Jesus said to him. But the author Luke didn't feel the, the need to necessarily include them. He just tells a story. Jesus went to his house. The Pharisees didn't approve. And then simply by being in the presence of Jesus, he is broken, begs for forgiveness, and, and turns his life around. You know, Jesus tells a story in the, in the, in the, to, the, to the woman. He's telling a story to the Pharisees just about about how um, people who have a lot to be forgiven are going to be significantly more grateful than someone who's only been forgiven a little. But we don't have any indication of anything that he specifically said to her. He never really, he never really talked to her. But she came already with all of this brokenness. And he looks at her and says, you're forgiven. The big picture that I believe that Luke is wanting us to draw out of this is that when we give sinners access to Jesus, forgiveness and new life is possible. That's, that's the result. And then our job, our role, we're traffic cops. We're just simply like, hey, right over here. Come on, come right over here. He's, he's, he's right here. He's right here. Oh, I'm sorry. Are there some obstacles in your way? Let me clear this path and make it as easy as possible for you to get from here to this Jesus. Because what he has to say 
by, by, by you getting to know him, by hearing about the way he taught, by hearing about the power of his death, by hearing about the power of his resurrection, there is new life available for you. And what happens just simply by them getting to Jesus and pointing to Jesus, I'm going to talk about Jesus, I'm going to show you Jesus, I'm going to bring you to places where Jesus is talked about, and if I can just simply do that, watch what Jesus will do in their life. And I think it's really important for us to make sure that we understand the difference between what Jesus said he was going to do and what Jesus is asking us to do. Jesus said he would be the one that would change the life. He would be the one that would get rid of the sin. Our job is pointing at Jesus with the way that we live. I'm going to act like he acted. And I'm going to tell you the things that he said. I'm going to tell you the things that he did. And then let Jesus do the thing that he's going to do. I don't have to stand between anyone and Jesus and say, Hey, wait a minute. Now, before you get there, there's a few things you need to know. There's a few things you got to get straight. You're not, you're not dressed right. You don't look right. You're not doing right. You fix all that. And then, then, then. We're the kind of people who's like, God broke down my pride a long time ago. I, I know I don't have it all figured out. I, I know that I'm not perfect. And I know and have experienced the grace and the forgiveness and the life that Jesus has given me. And I don't want anything to keep you, to hold you back from being able to experience the same thing with Jesus. There's another part of the story that I really, really like. Was that second story with the prostitute? You know, first story, we got Jesus having dinner with Zacchaeus. Second story, Jesus having dinner with the Pharisee. Even these guys and all their pride and their verbal and, again, ultimately physical persecution of Jesus. Even all of that, that was not a barrier in Jesus' mind from relational access to him. There isn't anything that any sinner can do or be that keeps them from being able to have access to Jesus. And then I just trust that if I can just get them there, I can get them to Jesus, they will experience this overwhelming life change. They'll understand the power of His death and that His death was a sacrifice to pay the penalty for your sin, for my sin, for our sin. And just believing that, I can freely have life with Him. And then by the power of His resurrection, I can know that death is not the end. And I see this gracious, kind, wise Son of God. And I just got to get them to Him. He does the life change. I'm simply His ambassador. Let me pray.